cross of Jesus is a double reconciliation. There's a vertical reconciliation and there's also horizontal reconciliation. There's a double reconciliation. The, the cross reconciled all of humanity to God. The cross also reconciled humanity to each other. It's a double reconciliation. And the second reconciliation is the reconciliation that Paul is pushing today. The reconciliation of people to each other. There's a double reconciliation. How does it work? God removes the difference. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. We're continuing this morning our walk through the book of Ephesians. Man, these, um, these teachings from Ephesians that Paul gives us just reminds me how always on time and relevant the Word of God really is. This is a word from Paul about racial reconciliation in a world that badly needs it. This is what Paul teaches us. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. 
Remember. Remember, Paul says. Remember, that's his call. He says it twice. It's like an exclamation point. Twice, remember, remember. No amnesia now. Remember. Call it to mind. You'd think that would call, Paul would be calling to mind would be something that we would think of as positive and, and constructive. Like, like Paul would say, remember Christ crucified for you. Or remember how I lived among you with gentleness and tenderness like a mother with children. Or, or remember my teaching to you when I, when I lived with you those years. Remember. You'd think that, and, and if you would think that, you'd think that for very good reason, because every other time that Paul in his prolific writings, and he is a prolific writer, most of the New Testament is Paul. He tells us to remember, and every time he tells us to remember, it's something constructive, apparently, something positive, apparently, but not here. As one writer observed, this is the only instance in all of the writings of Paul where he asks the Christians to remember something bad. The writer put it like this, Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 is the only text admonishing saved and sanctified people to remember their pernicious past. Remember, Paul says, remember how you were without Christ in the world. Remember how you were excluded from God's people. Remember how you were without hope and without God. Remember, remember, no amnesia now. Remember even the name calling. Even the name calling. Remember how they used to call you the uncircumcised. Remember how they used to name you for a part of your body. Remember how it used to make you feel. How it made you feel so less like God couldn't or didn't love you. Remember how they called you the circumcised. And remember how it was. Remember how you listened to the same music and you, and you went to the same Kroger and you cheered for the same sports teams. But how you went home and how you whispered it. They're the uncircumcised. You know how it was. Remember. It must have stung. Names sting. I remember when I was in junior high, I got named for a part of my body I can't see. Some of you know that. I'm blind as a bat without contacts or glasses. And so I was a basketball player in junior high, and I had to wear these awful thick goggles. And you know what they called me? Glasses. Then I went to high school. And you got to understand, maybe you had to live it to be there, but you got to understand I went to a football school. You know how that is. And I had the gall to play soccer. Amen. So, 
So they called me Soccer Borman. Because my twin played football. And I'd go in the cafeteria and they'd ask me very derisively, are you Soccer Borman? Yes, I'm Soccer Borman. They'd ask me on the basketball court, are you Soccer Borman? I'm Soccer Borman. I got named for a sport that I liked. But I've never gotten named for my position with God. It was bad. The scholar William Barclay said it was this bad. The Jews had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God for the fires of hell. God, they said loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother while she's giving birth because that would be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt. The barrier between them was absolute, the scholar says. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. That is how it used to be. Remember, Paul says, no amnesia now. This is apparently the best that humanity can do. Take a difference a religious difference, another kind of difference, and weaponize it. It's how we justify ourselves. We, we look at the difference, and we use the difference to feel better about ourselves than somebody else. And apparently humanity is destined to do this ad nauseum until the end of time. Because we do it over and over and over and over again. We take a difference, we weaponize it, we turn it into a category, a difference, an epithet, so we can feel better than somebody else. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, he makes this fantastic, brilliant observation. He says, nobody finds satisfaction in being smart. They only find satisfaction in being smarter than somebody else. And so there you have it. You got moral people, and then you got more moral people. You got smart people, and then you got smarter people. Nobody feels good about being beautiful. What they feel good about is being more beautiful. Than somebody else. And so we get our categories and we get our polarities and we get our epithets and then we get our hostilities forming and the walls go up and we do it over and over and over again. And Paul says, Remember. Remember how it used to be. Remember a world where you could look at somebody else, use your difference, and vault over them spiritually. Remember what it was like to be without God and without hope in all the world. No amnesia now. But things aren't that way anymore. That's what Paul said to the Ephesians. <laughs> they had to remember it, see? 
because it wasn't live anymore. It was gone. It was like a distant memory. Paul had them remember it because it wasn't there present. <laughs> it's not like this anymore, Paul says. You know, the, the Jews, they used to go to the synagogue, and, and the Gentiles, they used to go to their pagan temples, but not anymore. Now they go to church together. <laughs> They used to have their separate meals, but no more. Now they come to the Lord's table and they all together eat Christ's body and drink Christ's blood together. Together, together, there in the church, together. It was different now. Everything was different. That's what God had done, Paul says. God did this. Paul said, God did it. Man alive, peace. If you have not been listening for the past couple weeks, perk up. God did this in his grace. God did this. This is not about human performance. God did this. God did this. God did this. God broke down the dividing wall of hostility. God made one humanity out of two. God did this. God did this. God did this. God did it. There are eight verbs here. All of them. All of the active verbs have God or Christ as their subject. There are five passive verbs here that all tell us how to get in on this saving action. All of them are done by God and or Christ. God did this. But for Christ, forever, there would have been Jews with an air of religious superiority. But now there is Christ, who is peace to us both. But for Christ, there would have been prideful Jews and angry Gentiles for the rest of creation. But there is Christ, who by his cross has brought us all together. See, Christ is the destruction of mankind's hostility. God did all this in Christ with just one simple tool, a rugged tool. Paul says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, I could be calm about this. I could rationally explain this to you. What Paul is talking about here is what I call a double reconciliation. The cross of Jesus is a double reconciliation. There's a vertical reconciliation and there's also horizontal reconciliation. There's a double reconciliation. The, the cross reconciled all of humanity to God. The cross also reconciled humanity to each other. It's a double reconciliation. And the second reconciliation is the reconciliation that Paul is pushing today. 
the reconciliation of people to each other. There's a double reconciliation. How does it work? God removes the difference. He removes the difference. Where is the law with its commands and regulations? Abolished in the cross of Jesus. Where is the air of superiority that a Jew could have done? We are all saved the same way through Jesus. Others have said it like this. Before the cross, it's all flat ground. There's no up and there's no down. There's no in and there's no out. There's no superior and then inferior. Before the cross of Christ, it's all flat ground. It's all shoulder to shoulder. It's all arm in arm. It's all hand in hand. It's all, it's all flat ground. All of it is flat ground. The Jews received the preaching of peace from Jesus. The Gentiles have too. And it's not like the Jews have one way to God and then the Gentiles have another way to God. Both the Jews and the Gentiles have the same way to God. We go to God through Christ by one spirit. And so, in the end, there is one Father. And there is one Jesus. And there is one spirit. And there is one church in which we all worship the same God. It's all flat ground before the cross. Now, I could explain all that to you calmly and rationally about this double reconciliation. But I'm not sure that that'd be faithful. Did you hear Paul's language today? Did you listen to it? I want to I I ramp up. You know, I want to ramp up like this. What did you come here for today? Did you come here for tea and crumpets? Why'd you come? Did you come so I'd speak sweet nothings in your ear? Why'd you come? Why did you come? Did you, did you come because you thought it'd be interesting to watch a pastor blow in the spiritual breezes like a reed in the wind? Did you come for that reason or did you come to hear the gospel? Did you come to hear the truth? Did you come to hear about salvation, about the cross and its effects? Why in the world did you come? Because what we're here to do is break down the walls, to destroy the hostility, to put it down. Did you hear? Did you hear what Paul said? Did you hear what God did? God put it to death. He executed it. Do you think that racism is okay? God put it to death. He executed it. Do you think 
that you can stand before the cross of Jesus and feel morally superior to somebody else because you can't. Try it. You just try it. Stand before the dead body of Jesus Christ and try to feel good about yourself. Try to feel better than somebody else. Try to make it about you being a man or you being a woman or you being black or you being white or you being Jew or you being Greek. You can't do it. Just try. See, God did it. We didn't do it. God did it. There is no Jew or Greek. That's what Paul says, not before the cross. There is no male or female, not before the cross. That's what Paul says. There is no barbarian, Scythian, slave man or free, not before the cross. That's what Paul says. It's all flat ground. And dearly loved people of God, that's what we have in the church. Do you realize what Paul did today? In the book of Ephesians, it's amazing to me. It's like he was holding this beautiful bride off stage. He just sort of mentions her earlier in the letter. But then finally here in Ephesians chapter 2 in verses 11 through 22, it's like what he's done is he's taken God's bride. And she was off stage, but... He brings her to the center of the stage and this is what he says. Look at her. Isn't she beautiful? This is God's bride. This is the church. See, Christianity is a strange thing. The thing about being a Christian is this, that it turns out that before you can ever live, you have to die. And what God does is he, is he kills any part of us that feels better than somebody else so that we can live. And Paul brings her out onto the stage and he says, isn't she beautiful? The Ephesians, they couldn't even remember. Paul had to tell them to remember it, how it used to be, because it wasn't anymore. And it isn't here either. They commune together, we do too. They loved each other, we do too. They were baptized together, we do too. Do you see it? Isn't she beautiful? This is God's bride, the church. And she lives right here. I, I just want to celebrate that with you today. 
I actually think that's the most radical thing we can do in this world, just celebrate that today. In the world that doesn't know what to do about all these hostilities, we're already done with them. We get to celebrate today because we have every single gift worth celebrating. We have the gospel. In a world where hostilities and hurts are so live right now, not here. Our scores have all been settled at the cross. In a world which seems so deeply divided, somebody says you're wrong, somebody else says no, you are. We know the truth. We're all wrong. And Jesus is our only right. We have the gift of the gospel. And we have the gift of new citizenship, Paul says. We're part of a new country. And as being a part of a new country, we have new rules of engagement. We don't start with injustice. We start with the justice of the cross. We don't start with finger pointing at each other. We start by pointing our fingers at Christ and his cross. We don't know this language where it's you wronged me or, or they wronged whoever. It's we've been put right by Christ. We're part of a new country. We have new citizenship, Paul says, and we have new rules of engagement. And we're also a new family. We're so much more than a new nation. We're a new family, Paul says. <laughs> I mean, in a world, in a world that, that's so racialized right now, that sees so much only through the lens of race and ethnicity, we are, are so much more than a new nation. We're a new family. We don't see tribe. We don't see that stuff. We're a new family. We got a new name. We got a new, we got the same story. We were those who are far from God, who have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. We've not only have the same story, we've got the same name. We have been baptized into the great family name of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are new, not just a new nation, a new citizenship. We are a new family. And we are not just new family. We have a new grounding, a foundation, Paul says, in a world that is all movement and counter-movement and movement and counter-movement. The church is grounded on the apostles and the prophets. And we know what we focus on. We have clarity. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. If it's not about that, we're not about it. We have every gift, grounding, clarity. But I got one more. One last one that I want you to celebrate. Let me go at it like this. 
at the end of this little scripture, Paul rises. He's ascending. You start out and he says, this is who you are, church. He says, your new citizenship. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to bring you closer. It's not just a new citizenship. We're not just talking new, new nation. We're not just talking about that. Oh, no, no. We're talking about family. Paul says, church is family, Paul says. And then he says, no, I'm going to bring you even closer. It's not just as close as family. It's as close as bricks in a building. You, the church, are cemented together. something to celebrate. We've had a couple, I had a conversation with them early last week. It was such an encouraging conversation. This couple has moved from halfway around the world, the other side of the globe. Do you know what they told me? Their favorite part of the week is right now. They try to come at 9.30 a.m. just so they can be with the church. And so it turns out that when we put our swords back in the sheath and the walls come down in Christ's blood and we stay there rooted in him, it turns out that the church can get down to the business of what the church does. How do I put this? I dare say like this. Isn't there a thing that we Christians call it? This phenomenon? Where it's not one against another or one over another. This unique phenomenon. What do we call it again? Isn't that what we call love? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, in you was put to death the hostilities of mankind. And instead of the two becoming three and the three becoming four and the walls and the hostilities and the divisions gathering steam, the two became one. And here in your church, we are one new humanity. Knit us together, cement us together in the building that is the church that is rising to be a temple of you, Father. Give us a celebration of that in our hearts today. In Jesus' great name I pray. Amen.